Hey, Connect Church, PD here. Hope you guys are doing well. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the continuation of our series, Rebuild. And guess what? This is the conclusion of our series today. Listen, it's been an incredible, incredible journey. We've talked about some really, really important things relevant to my church, to your church, to Connect Church. I don't know if you remember this. Um, back in the day, one of my wife's favorite movies is the movie Top Gun. Come on, you ladies know what I'm talking about right now. And you, ma you remember when, uh, where is it, uh, it's uh, Goose and Maverick, they're, they're, they're getting ready to get on the plane, and they look at each other, and they're, I think it's Goose starts, he's like, I feel the need, and then they both go, the need for speed. And so today's message, I feel the need, I feel the need for zeal. Today's topic is the need for for zeal. We're going to unpack that word as we go forward. When I was a kid, we used to sing a song, the zeal of God has consumed me. It burns in my soul. You know, a driving force that can not be stopped, a fire that cannot be quenched. What an incredible song. Terrible little beat to it, but great lyrics. But anyway, um, before I get into our message, just a quick review. You know, week one, we talked about uh, Nehemiah, who's our main character. What an incredible leader that we've been able to learn from. Honestly, this particular series has been as much or more a blessing to me than as you, the study of it, because I didn't realize what a stud leader Nehemiah really was. Like, I knew he was a good leader, but wow, this dude is next level. We learned in week one that God really uh, gave him a burden. You can't go into ministry, do ministry, if it's not preceded by a burden. And he gets a burden for a place and a people that he's never seen and a people he's never been with a thousand miles away. And God gives him a burden and he begins to cry and he begins to weep and he kneels down and he prays. And we talk about the importance of being able to, remember this, get into the well with people. That was week one. And then, you know, kind of week two, we talked about more of the practical side of it, that that, that spiritual and practical, they coexist. They're, they're critical that, in fact, that they do coexist. And we can't just say I'm spiritual and they're practical and they're practical and they're not spiritual. No, they, they work together. They're hand in glove. And we unpacked the importance of, of having a plan. And if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And then Dev talked about the trash talking trolls. When you're getting ready to do something for God, expect enemy opposition. And then last week, Last week's message was called Fourth and Inches. And the reason I used that illustration was number one, it was the Patriots, you know, football game, which was pretty good. Pretty good. We got pretty close there. Um, just a couple inches over would have been a different story. But Fourth and Inches was based on the idea or the basis of the, the message was we can get really close. Like we're just about done. We're going to complete the task, the mission. And it seems like the most resistance comes when you're fourth and in inches. And so we talked about how to finish well. But today, everybody say today. Today we're gonna conclude the series and we're gonna talk about what happened after they finished the wall. See, they completed this miraculous task in 52 days. Some theologians said it could have taken years and years and years. But because of the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, as it says in Ephesians 4, they accomplished something in just 52 days. Amazing. And they build the walls back. And what ends up happening is 40,000 Israelites return to Jerusalem, to the holy city. And then there's this massive, massive celebration. Now, when I'm talking about a celebration, like if I could have music in the background right now, 
Um, I'd pick some different songs. You might not pick them. But this is like the biggest OT um, house party you ever saw, okay? And this is the OGOT house party, okay? And in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, will you join me there? We're going to do some Bible thumping today. It says, Nehemiah continued. He said, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. I mean, there's just, guys, there's a spread. There's a smorgasbord. There's, a, there's a, just a, a buffet of the best food and drink that you could possibly imagine. And I want you to kind of put yourself in this story here. What would be your favorite food or drink? I mean, if you're going to have a party, what's going to be there? You're going to have some ribs. Are you going to have some chicken wings? Like, are you going to have some of your grandmother's mac and cheese? Come on, some of you are salivating. That's not the Holy Ghost, okay? That's a holy hunger coming over you right now. Or what's your favorite drink? Maybe it's like sweet tea from from the South or from, or from Chick-fil-A. That's what's going on here. They're having an incredible, incredible party. And it says, this is sacred, a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy. We all know this verse if we were raised in church. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. I want you to focus on that. It says the joy of the Lord was their strength. Does anybody out there within the sound of my voice need a little bit of joy? I think that we all could use a, a, a little extra dose of joy. But what preceded this party atmosphere, what preceded this joy was some hard, hard work. And I think it's why they appreciated it and why they celebrated it so much. Now the story goes on in verse 12. It says, so the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal and to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy because they heard God's word and understood them. Now, I was reading that verse, and I'm like, what is that talking about? Well, in previous verses, Ezra had been reading the scriptures to them, the holy scriptures to them, the word of God to them, uh, the law to them. And um, as a priest, that was pretty much his responsibility. But get this, he did it from basically dawn to dusk, get this, for seven straight days. So all the people would come together, to, to, to stand, by the way, it, I think it says in uh, Ezra chapter 8, they stood before the Lord from dawn to dusk as he read the Bible to them. Now, how many know uh, that's some really long church right there, okay? I don't know. Anybody out there has some long church background experience? For me, I grew up Pentecostal. We had like four-hour services, took a break, came back, everybody. Our services were so long. I slept through revivals. We called them revivals, and all the kids were sleeping underneath or playing games underneath. If you didn't have a snack when I went to church growing up, you'd die, okay? But this meeting blows any church experience, these meetings blow any church experience you and I have ever had for those of us who grew up in church. And, and they're celebrating, perhaps because church is finally over. No, I'm just kidding. But they're celebrating the impact of the word of God manifest around them. They're realizing that the things that they read about are actually becoming a reality in their life. And look what it says. We also see in Nehemiah 12, verse 40. It says, the two choirs that gave thanks then took their place in the house of God. I don't know what they got playing. They got some Kirk Franklin going on. They got some Brooklyn Tab maybe, maybe some Earth, Wind and Fire. Come on somebody, you know, let's groove tonight. Whatever, um, whatever your favorite music, they got two choirs going everybody and it says they they took their place in the house of God and Nehemiah says so did I together with half the officials 
on that day, they offered great sacrifices. They were so excited to bring offerings. And they're rejoicing because God had given them, look, great joy. A lot of reason to be happy right now. And the women and children, they also rejoiced. Everybody is partying like rock stars. They're so happy and they're so grateful. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. This is such a bumping house party that the cities in towns nearby, they're like calling the police trying to shut it down. It's so noisy over there. These people need to shut up. No, see, this particular atmosphere of joy was powerful. And this is not like some lame office party with some terrible pizza and a cheap cake. No, this is this is like, what's that song, um, Eddie Van, not Eddie Van Halen, but uh, dancing, they'll be dancing in the street. You know that song? Um, I can hear that electric guitar so, so strong in my mind. But the joy and the excitement they're experiencing is not just because the wall's finished, it's because God, God has been good to me. That's what they're thinking. God has been good to me. And so they're rededicating their lives and they're celebrating and they're bringing offerings before God. Now, if this were a movie, this would be where like you want it to end. It's like the happily ever after ending roll credits. But this isn't Disney y'all, this is real life. So we're gonna talk about what happens next because we assume that when Nehemiah comes back and we're gonna see he went away and he comes back that everything's gonna be going really good. But it wasn't, it wasn't going so good. We go from this all time greatest house party ever to a very different scene. And so Nehemiah, he goes back to Persia. He goes back to the king of Persia. Remember he had a job and he asked for some time off? Well, he had to go back. But then after a little bit of time, he asks his boss, hey, can I go back and can I see kind of what's going on there? And when he goes back, he's expecting something. He's expecting to see the people like on fire for Jesus, serving with all their might, using their gifts and talents, uh, being contributors to the kingdom of God and to the city that, uh, of God around them. But that's not what he finds. And I don't know about you, but have you ever had an expectation of something and how it's going to go down and it doesn't go down that way at all? I bet you do. I bet you've had a lot of situations like that. You wanted to see one thing and you, you saw a completely different thing. I have a friend, his name is Mark Pettis from uh, Church of the Highlands, and um, he's actually the... The, the dean of students uh, for Highlands College. And I think he's got four kids, Mark's got four kids. He's much younger than I am and, and uh, very different season of life. And so he told me that he was saving up for a long time to take all his kids to Disney World. And he's got a, a range of ages, like 16, I think all the way down to five years old. And so saving up took about a year to get all the money together to be able to take his family. So they, the day finally comes, they go to Disney World, they're super excited, everybody's pumped, the plane ride there's pumped, the hotel, they're all pumped. They get ready to go to Disney, and there's so many freaking people there at Christmas time, they're waiting in line. Sometimes for a ride, they're waiting an hour and a half, two hours, three hours. And, the, and so during that whole time, he's spending all his energy pumping up his, isn't this great? We're in Disney. We get to go on this. And the first thing they went on was Space Mountain, which is probably not the first best thing for a five-year-old. But after a couple of rides and a lot of waiting, he turns to his youngest son. He goes, son, isn't it great? You know, isn't this awesome that we get to do this? Tommy, aren't you having a blast? And the kid just bursts out of the tears. And he's like, Tommy, what's the matter? And he's like, dad. Why did you bring us here? I mean, it was a total letdown. All the expectation over a year built up and it was completely shot down because of their expectations were different than what actually happened. 
This is probably how Nehemiah felt. He thought, oh my gosh, look at what happened. Look at what we've went through. Look at all these incredible accomplishments. Look how we built the walls in 52 days. And he returns, and in verse 6 of chapter 13, it says, I returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year, and then later I asked permission to go back to Jerusalem. And then when I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about Eliashib's evil deed in providing Tobiah, remember that name, with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God. I'll unpack this in a second. I became very upset, and I threw all Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Now, you guys remember this guy, Tobiah. He's one of the trash-talking trolls in this story that we've talked about. He's one of the haters. And he didn't just stay there after Nehemiah left. He moved in to the temple. He moved in with all his stuff, and he's just parked there. This is the guy who was bad-mouthing everything that was happening, is now taking advantage of it for personal gain. And then it says this in verse 10. I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food. So they and the singers who were to conduct the worship services and had all returned to work in the fields. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, why has the temple of God been neglected? Remember this. So Nehemiah wants to know, why is the church being neglected? Why are these guys not doing what? They're, they're designed to do what they're called to do. And what's happening here, is, is, is this, by the way, is anybody, has this happened to anybody else? I, I think so. Maybe this is you right now. Maybe this, Nehemiah wants to know in so many words, have you lost your passion for the things of God, for the house of God specifically? What happens when we lose our passion? So the pandemic, for example, maybe that's the, that's the reason, that's the, I'm going to be strong here, but that's the excuse, you know, it, it hits your life, your routines, your passions, it hits your family, it hits, in many cases, our relationship with God. But the big misconception might have been during the pandemic that the vaccine uh, is what's going to bring us back to normal, or a better way to say it is that we will go back to normal, but that's not what happens. The vaccine might have been normalized something for you, but we didn't necessarily go back to normal in the process. And so we get, we get, we get, we get to a point where all of a sudden our passion's gone. I remember, you know, I, I really gave my life to Jesus when, uh, you know, I got saved when I was like six, but I really surrendered to Jesus as Lord when I was 16. And I got on fire for God. And I was leading all kinds of people to Jesus. If you were interested in dating me, you're going to have to know Jesus first. I led all my girlfriends to Jesus, and then I broke up with them, praise the Lord. But uh, this, this, this experience that I had with God, it, it, it really, really changed my life. And for years and years and years, I've always been passionate about sharing my faith for the most part. But I'm not going to lie. This last year and a half or so, there was a span of time there for a little bit where my passion was, it was waning. It was struggling. And, and I'm the pastor. And so I can, I, I'm sure that we've all you know, struggled during this season that we're in. You know, maybe for you, your morning routines got totally just smashed or obliterated. And so the thing that you used to do with God every single morning was adversely affected by something else. Maybe the people, for me, the people I loved shifted and lifted. They left. The people that I pastored, a lot of them, hundreds of them left. You know, that was hard. Uh, social media, I saw during this last year and a half, became a toxic dumpster truck, you know. And people became, instead of seeing more encouragement than discouragement, it became just mean, hurtful. And, and it's, it started to mess 
started to mess with me and many others. People said a lot of things that I can't believe they would even say. Uh, I found myself not reading and praying for a little season there um, the way uh, I need to and the way I once did and wanted to. And I was feeling a loss of passion to help others. I was getting a little bit self-absorbed. And many like me decided that to give in to these ideas and to these, to these feelings. And some of them are not listening today. Some of them are not here today. Some of them are far, far from God and very disconnected from God. And I would say this, though, that even more than losing passion, we can lose, and I lost a little bit of my zeal my zeal. And I want to separate these terms. What is zeal? Write this down if you're taking notes. Zeal is a, and this is different than passion, okay? Zeal is a great energy in pursuit of a cause. It's tireless devotion. Tireless devotion. Zeal isn't just passion when you feel some enthusiasm. That's when, that's when you start something. Zeal is the energy you need to see something through to the finish, through uh, to completion, through to the end. And many of you felt passion in your faith right away. And you were pumped and you were jacked and you were stoked and you were motivated and you were attending church every week and you were serving on a team and, and you were going to three small groups and, and, and then a wave of reality hit or a wave of uh, COVID hit or something, something struck you. And at some point you realize you needed something else. You know what you needed? You needed zeal. It's different. It's tireless devotion to a cause. It's after the celebrations. What do you do? And the Bible tells us in, Re in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, it says, never, look at this, look in your Bible, never be lacking in zeal, but keep, you keep, your spiritual's fervor serving the Lord. You gotta stay hot. You gotta stay stirred. You gotta, you can't just be this microwave uh, uh, ministry. You've gotta be this on fire Christian. And you see, zeal is a commitment. You know, it's a, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, like our, mu our, our, our muscle that we sometimes don't exercise enough is our will, but our will helps us keep our commitments and it's a warrior will. It's a tireless devotion that carries you through the hard times, through the difficult times, through the war times, not just the peace times, no matter, no matter what. And it's important to have passion, but it's more important to have zeal. So here's a big idea for you to write down. Passion neglects what zeal protects. Passion neglects what zeal protects. See, passion is your heart for God. Zeal is your strength for God. Zeal is your strength for God. Passion will raise your hands in worship and say, is this Jira? Oh man, I love this song. Yeah, I love you. I love you, Jesus. But, but, but zeal resists temptation when no one is looking. Passion chases goosebumps but zeal is not about goosebumps, it's about grit. So it's that grit that we all need. Are you a goosebump Christian? Are you a Christian who has some grit? I don't know about you, but I think God is not looking for goosebump Christians. He's looking for some believers who have a little bit of grit, whether, whether you feel something or not, whether you get the little goosebumps in service or in your morning prayer or from the scripture you read. We're, we become so experientially minded that we are not rooted in relationship with God that it goes beyond our feelings. And I'll be honest, I think a lot of Christians in the church today are goosebump Christians and not gritty Christians. God's looking for some gritty Christians and their commitment, a lot of them, this is what happened recently, 
people, their passion left, so they left. Nehemiah shows us how to stay zealous for God. Let me give you two kind of truths on how to stay zealous for God, looking at Nehemiah's life. Number one, and we're also going to see what our Savior did too. Number one, to stay zealous for God, write this down, we need to contribute and not consume. Contribute and not consume. Going back to the story in Nehemiah 13, for I had returned to Babylon, and then I asked permission to go back to Jerusalem, and I became, it says in verse 8, very upset and threw all Tobiah's belongings out of the room. What is he doing? He's clearing out the deadbeats. He is clearing out the squatters. Why? Because the church wasn't supposed to be a place where we go to get what we want for ourselves. Ultimately, the church, the temple of God, was a place of uh, contribution, not a place of consumption. What, was, what, what got Nehemiah upset was you're taking advantage of these things for yourself. And the temple, in essence, wasn't being used right. It was being used as an apartment building. And we'll see how Jesus... Uh, feels when the church isn't being used right. And we can get this way sometimes, not just these people in this story. We get excited maybe about things at first and, and, and we're young and on fire, you know, and, and we, and, but then we move into we want to be entertained. You know, and I think God is kind of like gladiator. He wants to throw his sword at us and say, oh, you're not entertained. You know, like he just wants, he gets upset, I think, sometimes because we're saying things or, or in our head or out loud. I hope the music's good today. You know, PD, you better be kicking out some jokes. You know, this better, be, this better be a good word after last week, which was so good. It better be good this time. This small group, I don't know if it's right for me. See, in short, it's about me, not, not we not the body of Christ. And passion misdirected, I wrote this in my notes, is, is what, if it's misdirected, it starts with what can I do for God, but it morphs into what is the church doing for me? It's got a little Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately uh, disposition in it, and that is very, very toxic. In verse 9 it says, Then I demanded, Nehemiah speaking, that the rooms be purified, we got to get this place cleaned up. And I brought back the articles for God's temple and the grain offerings and the frankincense. I also discovered the Levites had not been given their prescribed food and the singers were, you know, not conducting the worship services and they all go back to work. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, why has the temple been neglected? Then I called all the Levites back again and restored them to their proper duties. See, the Levites were like the pastors. And then there are these worship leaders as well. They were, their, their job was to run the church. And the people who come to church were supposed to bring portions that would help sustain them. Okay, so this is an early uh, look at a model for how we do church. Okay, so how do, how, do, how do the men and women of God who work for God get taken care of? But they were taking those portions for themselves. So the pastors had to go back to work and the worship leaders had to go back to their respective jobs. And Nehemiah comes in and says, no, that is not how God set things up. That's not how we do things in the house of God. The church is, is, is not a building, it's people, but it's people who are using their gifts and talents for God. He gave you those gifts and talents, not for you to sit on them, not for you to, he gave you the seed that he gave you and the resources, not to just eat it and use it for yourself. And he certainly doesn't want us abusing what God has given to the house of God or for the house of God for ourselves as well. And so if you're serving if, and if you're giving, it's not a duty or an obligation. 
It's, it's, it's more than even a responsibility. It's worship. It's, it's impact. It's advancement of the kingdom. And a lot of times we're forgetting why we were doing what we were doing. We lost our passion. It left. It lifted. If you are, uh, you know, working in CY uh, or Connect Kids and, and you're serving those kids, uh, you're changing destinies like eternally, like forever by the seeds that you're planting. If you're leading a group, you're, you're pastoring and shepherding people that may never get that up-close personal attention and that discipleship, and you're giving them a safe harbor and a spiritual family uh, where they can find themselves and their identity. It's more than a task being done. It's a mission that's being fulfilled. So none of this is possible unless we have zeal. So my question to you in our first point is, are you contributing to the cause of Christ? Okay, everybody, so number two, this is how we get our zeal, learning from Nehemiah. Number two, write this down. We need to commit and not compromise. Commit and not compromise. Compromise is a decision to do something for yourself that ultimately steals from your commitment. See, compromise is a, deci a selfish decision that looks like it's going to give you something, but it ends up stealing from your commitment. So in this story, we see this happening in Nehemiah chapter 13. The, the, the people of God compromised their commitment. Verse 23 and 24, it says, About the same time that I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Now, you may not know what those names mean, and that's okay, but basically these are other pagan cultures, and associated with these pagan cultures is pagan worship, pagan idolatries, pagan practices. It says in verse 20, 24, Furthermore, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or of some of the other people's languages, and could not speak the language of Judah at all. See, what's happening is here is these... The people of God are intermarrying with these pagan cultures and in turn adopting these pagan religions, being indoctrinated by these pagan religions. In the process, they're losing their, their, their nationalistic view of, of their nation and they're, more importantly, it's undermining their beliefs and they're, they're even losing their language. Their kids don't even know how to speak the language of the people. And so he says this to them. Nehemiah comes along and he says, verse 25, so I confronted them. Nehemiah is a boss leader. I confronted them and I called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. Okay, let's just hit a time out here. This is one of these OT verses that you don't want to make your life verse, okay? This is a little strong, but, but, but before I can contextualize this for you, let me just help you see this part. This, this dude is zealous for the house of God. Like he is he is indignant, all right? That's a really strong word. He said, I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with pagan, uh, pagan people of the land. This was a righteous anger. Maybe it wasn't exercised the right way. Maybe he didn't say it the right way, whatever. But we actually see a little bit of this, not just in Nehemiah. We see it in our Savior uh, later. Nehemiah goes ballistic because the house of God is not being honored because the practices of God are, are not the, the norm and the lifestyle. And they had abandoned them so easily and so quickly. And they're compromising their faith and they're compromising their convictions and they're worshiping other gods. I and mean, he's fired up about it. But Nehemiah gets fired up. He's really, really angry. But let me remind you, Jesus got angry about this too. 
I couldn't help but introduce this verse into this message. Look with me in the New Testament. We're going to skip ahead. We've been in Nehemiah the whole time. But look at this because it's just the same. And I want to just get you to see the kind of puts an exclamation point on what I'm trying to say. John 2 verse 14 says, In the temple courts he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. This is Jesus going to church. This is Jesus going to the house of God. So the Bible says he made whips. He made a whip out of cords, and he drove all of them from church, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of money and the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a shopping mall, into a market. And his disciples remembered what was written in the scriptures where it says, zeal for the house will consume me. One place it says, one translation it says, will eat me up. One of the keys to keeping our zeal is commitment, not compromise. Commitment, not compromise. Commitment to what? To the house of God, to the local church. It's a critical way to keep your zeal. Not being a consumer, but a contributor and being a person of commitment to what? To the house of God. See, I don't think we see this that clearly. I think you're like, yeah, of course you're going to say that, PD. You're the pastor of the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So if you attach yourself to the church, if you align yourself with the house of God, hell can't win in your life. Hell no. Hell can't win in your life because you are a part of something that is important to God. God wants to use you for more, accomplish more, and so you've got to stop just bumping along, just kind of going with Sunday to Sunday and sermon to sermon and, oh, I got a new song on Spotify, and then you go, that you, you're going to always end up circling back to zero. You're always, you might worse yet lose your passion altogether for the things of God. Don't just survive until God comes. Serve until he comes. Serve until he comes. Never be lacking in zeal, keeping your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, Romans 12, 11. So being a part of a local church, I beg you that you see this, is a vital part of the Christian experience. That's why Jesus said, the zeal for God's house consumes me. It consumes me. See, Jesus was a man of zeal. He wasn't just like laid back hippie in sandals. All right, like we all depict him and see him like, like no, he was a man's man. He prayed you know, like he wept tears. He cast out devils. He, he healed the sick. He confronted the religious and called them snakes and vipers. That's not like a, you know, he's, he's not like going around peace, peace, bro, peace, bro, peace, you know, everybody's. No, this guy was a man's man. This guy had some commitment. This guy had some fire in him. Listen, he, the Bible says he made a whip. He didn't just like accidentally come upon the church, see everybody misbehaving, and then suddenly get angry. No, I actually think he, this was premeditated. I think he like, I think he figured out how to make a whip, maybe for all I know, practiced. You know, like, yeah, like he's doing all his best Zorro moves. He's ready to go, and he shows up, and he clears the place out. Some commentaries that I looked up, said that the temple courts were filled with as many as 200 temple guards. So when he went in there throwing tables, yelling at people, whipping people, there could have been as many as 200 people he cleared out of the place. Like this, this is zeal for the house of God. 
you know, and sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm in my, one of our locations right now, and sometimes I get fired up because things aren't stewarded well and things aren't taken care of. Sometimes I don't like when we're not taking the, the things of God serious enough, and, I'm, and I sometimes don't know what to do with that, and I push it down. I sometimes think, God, could I, you have to have the right spirit and the right motivation about it. But when I read this story, I'm like, you know what? That's, that might be some appropriate fire once in a while. Would that somebody, within the sound of my voice, you know, receive maybe by impartation a zeal for the local church the way Jesus had it. Oh man, would that be great if that happened somehow through this message. Because some people would say, if I asked you, do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want to, do you want to be more like God? You would say, absolutely, of course I want to be more like God. But, but, but then if I said, oh, how often do I hear, I should say, I love God, I just have a problem with the church. Hmm. I think Jesus had, it was clear, he had a passion for the house of God. People have drawn new doctrines. You don't need the church uh, to be, uh, you don't need the church to go to heaven, but you need the church to be a strong, committed, contributing Christian. And, And so nothing's further from the truth that you can stay separated from the body of Christ. That's what the church is called. It's called the body of Christ. We can't rebuild the church connect till we see the church right and its importance. And the best way to see its importance is through Jesus, who in fact is the head of this church, and zeal for it, that we have a tireless devotion uh, to it. Let me give you a couple of thoughts as I start to wrap things up. How you treat God's house is how he'll treat your house. What do you mean by that? Well, there's a lot of scripture I can give you, but let me give you one that we often don't like, but I'm going to go there anyway. It's Malachi chapter 3. It says, if you bring the whole tithe, it talks about partial tithes and what happens with that or, or a bad offering. But you bring the whole tithe into the house, the storehouse. The Bible says, I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on your house that you can't even contain. See, it's not just in money, by the way, it's in life. If you make God's house a priority, he'll make your household a priority too. I know this to be true. I'm so thankful my mom and dad, you know, put me uh, in the pew week in and week out making it a priority. We go on vacation and still go to church a lot of times on vacation. Here's another thought for you. Ephesians 1.22 says the church, which is, I just underlined this, which is his body. The church is Christ's body. So he's the head of the church. We know that from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. But the church is, is his body. Do you know what that means? It means it's not okay to talk negative about the church. Does that mean the church is perfect and it has perfect people? Heck no. We've seen a lot of compromise. I understand that, okay? But people who uh, don't go to church often say, I love the Lord, Again, but I don't love the church anymore. And the church is a bunch of hypocrites, and, and, and all they want is your money. And, 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 and there are places where that's true, but there are more places where that's not true. And you don't give up on the restaurant that you go to because you have a bad meal or have, have a bad appetizer. And a lot of times we give up on something, and it's a cop-out. It's a cop-out from what is important to God and what's vitally important uh, to you. But Jesus is the head. The church is his body. And, and, I, and I wrote this, you know, down the other day in my journal, and I was, I was thinking about all the newlyweds in our church, all the young couples. And I, and I imagined myself saying, hey, guys, I don't know if I'll do this but, uh, later, but guys, all you are newlyweds, I want you to stand up with your spouse. And, and guys, I want you to look at your bride. And I want you to tell your bride, you know, I really love your head, but it's your body that I don't like. 
<laughs> How many know that's not going to go over too well with the spouse, right? Because there's a connection between the head and the body and the body and the head. That's what many are saying to Jesus. I love you, but I don't love your body. That's offensive to God because the body, the church, is the body of Christ. His body is the church. My last text is I conclude, Psalm 92. This is why I think commitment is so beneficial because it has incentives for you. It says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. Those who commit, those who commit and don't compromise to the house of God, to the church, shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit when they're older, praise God. In other words, if you're planted, if you're married, uh, if you're a teenager on fire for God, families, you're all, your businesses, all of that's going to flourish. They shall stay fresh and flourishing. What an incredible, incredible verse. So if you're planted, church isn't optional. It's not an optional thing. You don't give your leftovers to God. Uh, you, 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 you emphasize intimate personal relationships. You don't get offended over something small and just leave and give up and quit. You don't just show up to listen to sermons and then come back next weekend. You're not just a hearer. You're a doer. You're not just a consumer. You're a contributor. And, and this, this is what it means to be planted. Planted people help build the church. It's, it could be said that God's house, when it's more important than your house, then it's a sign that you're planted, that you're planted. You are a Nehemiah. You are called to be a builder of the local church. Now, if this is your local church, I want to call you to a higher standard. I want to call you not to just passion, which can wane and which can change when, when things, when emotions subside. I'm calling you to be a zealous Christian, to never be lacking in zeal and to keep your spiritual fervor. With, with that, can I just pray for you guys? Because I've given you the kind of two of several we could talk about, kind of secret sauce ideas for how to maintain your zeal. But I want to pray that you have the courage to take those next steps to get those places in your life back in order. Listen to, in a sense, the rebuke, not of Nehemiah, but of the Holy Spirit, the corrections and the adjustments that the Holy Spirit would speak to you through this message. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, within the sound of my voice, Lord, I pray that wherever people are, maybe far away from where I am here today in another part of the world, maybe another part of the country, maybe locally just listening online at home in our online campus. Lord, I pray that you would call us um, where it's kind of like after the after party. What do we do after the party? When, when, when the emotions subside and the highs and, 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 the, and the next you know, level uh, song and the next level sermon, all those things begin to subside. What do we have left, Lord? I pray for the zeal of God to consume my brothers and sisters. And Lord, I pray that you give them the zeal to, to be not just consumers, but contributors, to use their time, their talent, and their treasure for the things of God. Lord, help them also to see the importance of commitment, of commitment to what? To the local church, to the house of God, your body. Lord, we love you, and we also love your church. And if you're here today and you're far from God and maybe you're disconnected and you, you just somehow you came online today and you're listening and you just want to make it right with God, I want to help you do that. 
And that's very, very possible right now. And really what I want to do is I want to lead you in a prayer. This prayer won't save you, but what you say with your mouth and believe in your heart will. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that we confess and we believe. And that's how we're saved is when we have those two things working together. So would you pray this prayer with me if that's you? Just say this, say, Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and that I need your grace for my life. I can't pay for my sins, and I accept that you paid for them on Calvary 2,000 years ago. I receive, by grace through faith, salvation made available for me on Calvary. I thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand there online and just tell somebody, I just made that commitment to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And then I'm gonna ask you to take another step and to text CC Save to 97,000 because we wanna send you something on your spiritual journey to help you with what are your next steps. And of course, if you need prayer, let somebody know they're right there in the chat. I would like somebody to pray with me. I wanna talk further. They're there to help you and guide you on your spiritual journey. Connect Church and all the family of our local church. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your continued support. Thank you for your contribution. Thank you for your commitment. I love being your pastor, and I'll see you again real soon.